All right, everyone. Episode 128 with Georgie Fears about to start. And this one, as always, Georgie just crushed it. We talk about a lot of stuff today. Um, we go into nutrition. We go into a bunch of questions from Facebook. And most importantly, we talk about depression, mental health, the stuff that people don't want to talk about. And she opens up with her own um journey through you know mental health issues and completely just opens the door to that world and shares all of her experiences so without further ado here we go here's georgie and i chatting about everything that has to do with your health here we go and hope you enjoy it hey guys welcome back to another episode of cut the shit get fit I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is the one and only Georgie Fear. Say hello. Hi, thanks for having me on the show again. No problem. Uh, So for the audience, to break the ice, what do you got planned for the weekend today? I like my weekends to be relatively unplanned. So I do have one client call on Saturday, which is sometimes happens, they'll spill over. So I do have one call on Saturday. Other than that, I tend to hang out, take lots of walks. Bake some bread, nice. make yogurt. It's all about cooking and walking yeah. for the most part. Yeah, how about you? Um, this weekend, I'm actually doing a talk at my gym, so that should be good. So I teamed up with our chiropractor at this new gym I'm working at, and we thought it would be a good idea to do a talk on low back pain and then how to squat and deadlift without effing up your shit. That's the title of nice. the seminar, <laughs> yeah. So that should be good. And then uh, probably like get a movie in there or something. I don't know. It's raining because in Vancouver, it always rains. Yeah, so, it is. Uh, it is. I'm looking at my window right now knowing yeah. that you're seeing pretty much the same thing. And yeah. it's like, ugh. Yeah, so it's like, I don't want to go outside even though like my dog is going to want to go outside and run around and I'm like, God, stop raining. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It's, pre- it's really tiring this time of year how much it rains. Yeah. Uh, but I like that's the one thing I've noticed on your like Instagram and Facebook is you're always like cooking and baking. So like, is this like a new hobby now, like getting into bread and stuff like that? The bread thing is relatively new. Yeah, yeah. I tend to go in spurts. Um, like I went on a, a pot pie streak where I was making nice. like every, every variation of pot pie, and then there's pizza and <laughs> now sourdough bread is the thing. Like, I make a lot of yogurt, but I don't bother Instagramming that because it's it's white goop, whichever way. <laughs> like, I mean, come yeah, on. <laughs> Awesome. So yeah, I do like to post a lot about what I'm eating and what I'm cooking. It's it's a creative outlet for me as much as it's kind of related to nutrition, which we talk yeah. about all the time too. Yeah, but it tastes so much better. Like my wife started baking her own bread, and she got one of those like Dutch ovens, and yeah. it's the most amazing bread I've ever tasted in my life. I'm like, God, like we need more of this in the world. <laughs> It is. Yeah. It is. It's it's fun, and it's 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 a great cheap hobby. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so the other thing I wanted to bring up because it's been like a year since we last chatted, so I'm kind of curious, like, what's new, what's going on with one on one, and like, what are projects you're working on and stuff like that. Sure. So uh, one by one is our company, and uh, one by one is, I think we haven't added any new staff members, uh, but we're doing a lot more in terms of our new website and we do have all of our courses online for free now. So that's been a pretty big change. And a lot of people are like thousands of people are signing up and taking the courses online for free. So we're, we're having a good time with that because it's really awesome to be able to talk to people and be like, I I don't 
like, I'm not trying to sell you anything. Like, just go here and you'll find an answer to your question and some instructions on how to, like, actually put that into place. So it's been really, really great since I do love helping people. Mm-hmm. And I get, you know, several requests a day from Facebook or email or my website. Um, and so it's nice to be able to have all these lessons just freely available to say, hey, hey, go here, check this out. I think I could really help you solve your problem. Awesome. Um, and then we're we're always working on just writing new articles and improving our methods. I've got a full roster of clients right now for my own, and I have a great group, and they keep me on my toes and laughing every day. So, yeah, I'm really lucky to get to do what I do. Um, not, no public speaking recently, not doing too much travel. Mm-hmm. My back's been pretty bad, so Uh-oh. pretty much <laughs> staying local lately. So life is good. Can't complain. Yeah. So, like, what made you guys want to give out all that content for free? Like, was it paid for before, or? Well, um, it's interesting how things evolve over the years. We always have felt like we want to do as much as we can for as many people as we can. And information is not what our company is about like mm-hmm. coaching is not about giving people information like if i feel like accurate information on how to eat well should be as readily available or more available than the marketing that's just blasted at you from all sides yeah. on the internet and on television and on the subway you know there's so much information out there telling you to feed yourself poorly <laughs> and treat yourself poorly and over-exercise and you should look like this um, and you should avoid carbs and you should avoid this food and I, I just it really bothers me to not be able to compete with that for free yeah. and luckily the, the team of people at uh, one by one all feel the same about that that we all want good information to be out there for free and obviously there's people that will always need coaching because if information solved the problem, then there, there would be no obesity crisis. There would yeah. be so many people that need a hand with this. So we don't worry about our business being threatened by giving away free information. You know, if anything, it just brings more people to me to ask about how to implement this or that or how do I adapt it for my own situation. Um, so we really get to focus on the coaching if all the information is out there. Yeah, it makes sense, and, like, I even did a, like, little experiment where I just went on Facebook, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to do, like, a six-week nutrition course, who's interested, and I had, like, no idea what I was going to do, how many people would sign up to it or be interested, and I ended up getting 60 people that wanted to sign up to it, I'm like, okay, well, we got something going on here, so I added, like, a little Google form sheet and asked, like, you know, what are you struggling with, what do you want to learn, and it's, like, the same stuff always, like, what protein should I eat, be eating for breakfast? What do I do if I miss a meal? Like, all really simple stuff. And I'm like, all this information's out there. Like, how is this still a thing? And I'm like, yeah. we should be giving this information for free because if they don't get it from us, then we're going to go to somewhere else and be like, oh, I should be doing this diet. Right, right. Yeah. If you can go on YouTube and learn how to change a tire. That's true, like, yeah. Why can't you get free information on how to build a nutritious meal for yourself or your kids. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you is, like, what's your vision for your guys' company going forward now? Like, what are you trying to achieve or, like, what are some, you know, points that you want to hit coming up in this next year? Well, we always want to reach more people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We always want to have more people doing our free stuff, more people engaging with coaching. We want to um, add more and more courses to our site. Um, I mean, there's literally no limit to how much education we'd like to put out there for free. Yeah. Like, if we could have courses on <laughs> everything we possibly could, that would be great. Um, so we're looking at expanding um, into more lessons and skills on specifically for emotional eating and binge eating that are separate from the context of weight loss. Because our main market, like nine out of 10 people that come to us are asking for help with weight loss. So most of the courses that we've put together are for those um, people. Mm-hmm. However, there's you know very strong audiences, very strong needs for good information about combating binge eating and combating emotional eating. So since we have expertise in those areas, we're creating separate lists to serve people who want that information but don't want to necessarily hear about it in a context of weight loss so yeah. we're gonna have separate binge eating and emotional eating programs coming out soon i'll be good because like that's the uh, two things i've been noticing a lot more people like speaking about and not just coaches and things like that but actual you know clients that are looking for help in those categories where you know maybe 10 years ago people are not like oh yeah i'm a binge eater like this is my issue but I, I guess people are feeling a little bit more confident to, like, come out and be like, hey, I have this issue. And I don't know, like, it, it's an interesting thing because I've dealt with binge eating for a long time. And I'm kind of curious, like, what's your approach to help someone with that? Because I get, like, I ask this question a lot to my guests and I always get a different answer. So I'm kind of curious about your opinion on it. Right. Well, everybody, of course, is going to be different. I know yeah. that's like a bland way to start yeah. the start my statement, but it is important because not everybody's going to get the same sort of um, plan laid out for them. So most people that deal with binge eating have multiple triggers. It's not um, one simple thing that's causing it or maintaining it. So the way that I best like to explore it, and I think individual coaches within Oboe have different feelings on this as well. Like we all have a bit of our own style. I tend to organize my conversation with somebody um, when we're first getting to know each other, uh, talking about the history, kind of when it started, and finding out where they are today. I mean, I'm most interested in where someone is today. I hate to like dredge up the past any more than is needed. Yeah. I don't want to like put somebody on the couch and make them tell me about their trauma at four <laughs> years old. But what sort of physical contributors are adding to it right now? And so that usually falls into... Um, like food behaviors. Like if people are not eating adequate meals, then they're actually hungry and that provides a physiological trigger to binge eat. If you're underfed, you're just more likely to binge. So that's one thing that we usually need to work on. And then we also talk about mental and emotional factors that are contributing. For example, somebody that I was just speaking with yesterday, we were able to talk about how she was recognizing that her binge eating often happened because she wanted to avoid making big decisions in her job and in her personal life at the moment. She's making a lot of big decisions about moving and purchasing large things. And it's feeling like a lot of pressure. And so when she feels a lot of pressure on herself, she notices the urge to binge. Mm -hmm. So those conversations can be really eye-opening just to get it out in writing. And I'm a very systematic person, so I like to make lists and charts and columns. And once we can see in black and white, like these are the things we have to deal with, now we can get to it. And so I'm just like systematic, like line them up and tackle them one at a time. So 
oftentimes nutritionally our steps include getting people to eat three or four times a day and eat meals until they're satisfied not to eat like little diet meals and try and always be compensating for your last binge by Mm -hmm. restricting so taking away the restriction aiming for weight maintenance with three or four balanced meals a day sometimes people need five meals a day and that's fine too the the main priority is if somebody wants to lose weight and stop binge eating it's really crucial to work on the binge eating first because while you're losing weight and creating a calorie deficit that actually will um, feed the habit of binge eating. It's, mm-hmm. it's providing a trigger and keeping the urges going. So we prefer to keep weight weight stable until we're able to get a length of time without any binging at all. Yeah. And then in that background, we can start looking at behaviors and adjusting food intake to create a calorie deficit. Okay. Now, like, I'm happy we're talking about binge eating because it might even lead into what I really wanted to talk about, which was, like, depression. Nice. Yeah. Sure. Um, because I've, like, chatted with some people and... One of the surprise, like I had like a coaching call with a brand new person and like right away she told me like, I'm a binge eater, I eat my emotions, I've been single for like 10 years and I'm super depressed. I was like, okay, whoa, that's a lot that you just unloaded at me. But do you see a common like theme that if people are depressed or they're binge eaters, those two kind of go hand in hand? Um, well, I think binge eating is, it's certainly related to emotional pathology and by that i don't mean that somebody's necessarily ill or has a condition but it's not the sort of thing that we see people do when they're feeling well Mm -hmm. like when we're happy and enjoying our lives binge eating doesn't tend to be a thing that happens so um i would kind of from the thirty thousand foot view i would put binge eating along with other behaviors that tend to pop up when somebody's in distress Mm-hmm. So I don't really worry too much about labeling it binge eating disorder versus just the behavior of binge eating. Yeah. Um, but it does often seem to go along with depression. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't think I find too many people that would argue like those are not related at <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah. I think it's probably obvious that they're related, but difficult to identify how related are they. For yeah. example, if you improve someone's binge eating, would that help improve their depression or would they be better off working to improve their depression first and would that eliminate the binge eating my preference is always um more hands on deck the better so if somebody's willing to work with a therapist at the same time that they're working with someone on their nutrition that's probably a great idea yeah that's the other thing too that i was kind of curious about is like you know, us coaches, we tend to start dabbling in so many different things beyond our scope of practice because people just tend to like open up to us. But have you like, do you have any tips for coaches when they're working with somebody and the coach can already see that, hey, I should probably like refer this person to like a therapist? How do you go about that without like crossing the line to the client where they're like, they almost take it as like an offense, like, no, I don't need a therapist. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. absolutely do. There can be a lot of stigma about referring somebody to a mental health professional. They're like, what are you calling me crazy? Yeah. Um, in my experience, I have referred hundreds of people probably by now. Mm-hmm. And I've never had anybody turn around and snap at me, which may be luck or it may be that the, the stigma is dying or that I just chose the people in moments where I was going to open my mouth really well. I don't know, but I haven't, I have not yet had anyone be like, screw you for mentioning that. Yeah. Most people are like, 
they almost wanted permission. Like, really? Do you think that would be helpful? Because I've been thinking about it for six weeks now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, I, I think one, one thing that is a point I would want to make for people that are listening is that we can't, unless we are licensed as a mental health professional, we want to make sure that we're not putting ourselves forward as being able to treat somebody for a condition. So I personally have intimate experience with depression and anxiety, but I can't treat depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. I work on nutrition. Now I can give people tips and I can share what's worked for me and I can share what I know from from a general research standpoint. For example, we know that eating a nutritious diet and staying physically active and getting sleep tends to help people be their mental best, but I'm certainly not going to hold somebody back if they want to consult somebody whose specialty is that. I think that's probably a great idea. Mm-hmm. So I often refer people, if they're even thinking about it, to try it. Um, because many times you'll meet somebody and you're not a good match, and that's okay. You can always go to one appointment and then not go back. Many people hesitate to go to a mental health professional because they don't know what to expect and they're afraid of being put on medication, and they worry that the medication will do all sorts of terrible things, like change the personality or make them gain 50 pounds, or, you know, these these what-ifs can really deter somebody. So I try and let them know about my experience, which has been, you know, feeling really low, dealing with several mental health professionals over my life. Some are better than others. Sometimes I tried medication and found that it didn't do any good. Sometimes I've tried medication and found that it was great for me. And I also share the experience of my other clients anonymously that, you know, a lot of people who work with me have discovered that solving some of their or developing some of their emotional skills really helped give them um, a leg up on tackling their weight and tackling their health behaviors. So I encourage, I encourage you to do it, you know, Jane client. (laughs) I think that helps to know that a lot of people do go, you know, try out mental health professionals or try taking medication. And that if you don't like it, you can always stop. Like you can always stop going. You can always, you know, decide not to take medication, even if it's offered. No one's going to take your choices away. But I think investigating it, often um, the professionals who do work as counselors in that field can ally somebody's fears so much more effectively than I can. They, you know, they're able to tell people, I help people through this every day. You know, people get better. Yeah. So... Um, so like the one thing that like scares me about like the mental health professionals and you like you even said you went through several and I'm kind of like I asked this to Jason Leonards and um, like what characteristics should you look for when choosing a therapist because you know like I don't in my circle I'll, I can't go on Facebook and I'm like oh I know a therapist and they post all the time it's like you almost have to do an old school like Google search and that's kind of weird to say like an old school Google search to find a therapist like do you have any like tips or like things that people should look out for when they're seeking out for help? Well, it's tough to make a recommendation for a nameless, faceless person. Yeah. Like when I have been doing this with a client, I'm usually able to talk. I know what they're dealing with, at least from what they've told me. Mm-hmm. And I also know what my personal preferences are in terms of styles of, of counseling. Um, so I... If somebody's dealing with an eating disorder specifically, then I will usually look for somebody that's got experience with eating disorders counseling. Mm -hmm. If somebody's um, 
having a tough time with depression and anxiety, I tend to recommend, and this is really just a personal preference, I recommend looking for practitioners that do either cognitive behavioral therapy or acceptance and commitment therapy, so CBT or ACT. And that's just because I really like those styles. I have found them more effective for me personally. For my clients, they seem to have been more effective. And then if somebody feels like they're not into talking about their stuff, but they might want to try medication, then you don't want to go for a therapist because they can't write you medication scripts. Uh-huh. Then you want to ask your doctor for a referral to a psychiatrist. And a psychiatrist is not going to get, typically, not going to get too into your story. They're basically going to look at you as a medical case and yeah. figure out if there's a medication that could help reduce your symptoms and help you manage dosing that and managing any side effects. So that's an important distinction. If, you, if you're interested in more talking and counseling, then you want to look for a psychologist or a therapist. But if you're thinking you might want to try medication, a psychiatrist is going to be the person that you want to go to. Um, it's never a bad idea to go to psychologytoday.com. They have a find a counselor or find a therapist uh, database. Mm-hmm. And I'm always a big fan of if you like somebody, that counts for something. <laughs> so if you meet somebody and you're like, oh my God, this person makes me really uncomfortable or makes me feel really sketchy, yeah, find another person. It has to be somebody that you're comfortable talking with. Yeah. No, that was all good. Like, because I think most people just don't know where to start and they're just like, oh, I'll just go to a therapist and they have a bad experience or like, oh, that's stupid. I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happens when somebody goes to a bad trainer or a bad dietitian. Yeah, and they're like, well, I'm writing off that profession as well. <laughs> yeah. But um, if you're open to it, I'd be kind of curious if you could speak with your like experience when you felt at the lowest part. Because like, I find that a lot of clients look at coaches as like these perfect human beings and we figured out life and we have right. like everything perfect. But when we show, nice. yeah, when <laughs> when we show like our you know weaknesses, like you can almost connect to that client a little bit better, and they're like, oh, if you're struggling, then I'm struggling too. This this feels great knowing that my trainer is the same way as me. But it would be awesome if you are able to open up yeah. and talk about that. That would be sweet. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't consider uh, any health problem to be a weakness, and I do consider mental health problems to be just like if I had high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. I, would, you know, I don't have any problem talking about it. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> so uh, I actually first became aware that I may not have the best mental health when I was a teenager. When I was about 14, um, I started dieting, which rapidly became disordered eating in terms of restrictive eating. Um, so I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa. I never had to be hospitalized. So, um, you know, luckily I, I was treated early enough that I, I didn't have major medical complications. I was never close to dying in a physical sense, but I did have a disproportionate amount of fears and a disproportionate amount of fixation on my food intake. And that is not the sort of thing that goes away quickly. So like I, I could put a 10-year stamp on that approximately in terms of how long it took until I would say I felt, quote, healthy around, like mentally around food. So that's a, that's just a long time, <laughs> a long time of, of fixating around food. And I recognized that even after I was eating healthfully, because I was working with a dietitian all throughout high school, even after I was eating healthfully, I still was depressed. And I never recall feeling anxious, but I just recall feeling sad and wanting to be alone. And it was just heavy all the time. And 
I can't recall. I have like a typical teenage poor recollection of certain things. <laughs> I, I can't recall how it happened, but I do know that um, in addition to seeing my doctor and a dietitian, I was also seeing a psychiatrist and a counselor. So I was like a, a round robin of medical appointments yeah. during my, which made me feel even more like, oh my God, I'm such a basket case. <laughs> my parents have to drive me all these places and I'm such a screw up. <laughs> um, and so I did start taking medication at around 14 or 15. And I had to try two or three different antidepressants before I found one that really made a difference. But when I did actually take one that made a tremendous difference, it was like, oh, that's what other people feel like. Yeah. You know, like some days you feel a little low, but some days you feel good. Sometimes you laugh. Sometimes you feel disappointed. Sometimes you feel bored. Like I felt like I went from having only bad emotions to having a normal spectrum of emotions. So, um, Needless to say, it was life-changing. So probably sometime around 17 or 18, things got dramatically better. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to college, I continued to basically just try and maintain my sanity and <laughs> nutrition <laughs> and stay fit and not stress too much about schoolwork. Um, and then, you know, now being 36, that gives me, you know, more than 20 years of experience playing this self-care <laughs> game. Yeah. Um, there's been times that were better there's been you know a couple of times where i actually came off medication but you know more than six months or so would go by and then i would feel like i was just going downhill and so i ended up going back and taking it again um so at this point i've pretty much accepted that i'm i like my life better when i when i take medication regularly and if i don't take it life is too much of a struggle and i can't access the joy of it and i don't want to I don't want to live my life withholding that from myself. So mm-hmm. I got over whatever hangups I had about taking medication. Like, like I also wear my contact lenses cause I like to see and I yeah. don't, either of those is <laughs> <laughs> illogical. Yeah. Yeah. I plan to use both for the rest of my life um, to make my life better. Cause we only get one crack at it. <laughs> but I, I, I gotta thank you for like talking about that. Cause like, you know, most people, again, they have this weird stigma against, you know, going to therapists or, like, talking about depression, like, it, it's just weird to me that people just don't want to show that, but it's, like, a really, really important thing in your life, and if Definitely. you, yeah, I don't, but I, I think just more people need to start talking about it, so then they feel like, oh, if that person's talking about it, then I can feel this way, and then I can tell people what's actually going on. Definitely, definitely, and, like, I, it's a constant thing, like, just like most people have to put forth some effort to taking care of their nutrition and making sure they eat well and going to the gym. Like I think taking care of our mental health and our mental well-being is a lifelong self-care basic for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, some people need to pay more attention to it than others. Just like some people have an easy time getting to the gym every day and some people have a tougher time, you know, it's yeah. not necessarily even for everybody. Um, I definitely have an easier time in the warmer, sunnier months, which is pretty common. <laughs> You know, I, I, it's interesting because I can see it even in my clients. Among people who don't necessarily have anything out of the ordinary um, in terms of mental health symptoms, they just have a harder time during the winter yeah. months. And, you know, February, a lot of us are feeling the blahs. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely have a, a tougher time. Well, I'll say I, I have to have a more deliberate self-care routine going mm-hmm. during December, January, February, March. Um, I probably do less creative work those months 
because I'm recognizing that it's just it just doesn't come as easily to me. Yeah. When I'm a notch down. <laughs> and then during the summer months, I tend to feel more energetic, more creative. Um, I'm in less physical pain. Like I have chronic pain in a lot of my joints. And so when you've got like a backache, a knee ache, two, both hips hurt and both elbows hurt, it's really hard to be like <laughs> writing well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Jeez. So, yeah, so I tend to feel better in the summer months and really capitalize on it and recognize that ups and downs are all part of the human package. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're gonna have good days, we're gonna have bad days, and I think it's it's an interesting topic to know when it's time to get help versus what's just normal. Because I'd hate for people to get the impression that having the blues from time to time means that you're depressed and you should really see somebody about that. Yeah. So it's difficult. What's your experience been? Have you have you kind of been a long case of dealing with your own mental wellness, or is this a new thing? Um, for me, like I've always been an optimistic person, and I always try to look at things where if something bad happens, I look at it like maybe it happened for a reason to like prevent me from doing something worse. Like the example, like I give to people that. Um, you know, your car breaks down, for example, while you're trying to get somewhere. I'm like, maybe it broke down on purpose because if you did drive there, you would end up in a car accident and then things would get a lot worse. But I talked to, uh, about this on my show before where I was in a business partnership where I literally did not want to go to work every single day. Like clients could even tell something was going on, but I couldn't really tell them. Like I was just totally miserable. And then I finally took the plunge to leave that um, partnership with my two business partners. And now it's like everything is so much better. And I was like, I can't believe I actually felt that way. And it was like normal on a daily basis for like yeah. a year. And it's like such a weird thing to be out of that. And anytime I like think back to that experience, I like automatically just get so low. And I'm like, holy crap, I need to stop thinking about it. And then wow. just live my life like... I think that was, like, the only, like, really, really low place I was in. But, I don't know, I've always been a type of person that can take on a lot. But I guess it's also, like, a weakness that if I take too much, then I get miserable. And then all the other people around me get miserable. They're like, what the hell's going on with you? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, if you're if you're able to normally shoulder a lot of responsibilities yeah. and projects and relationships, and then you take somewhat of a hit then it can be a bit of a liability because you're like, oh, my God, everybody's depending on me. Yeah, definitely. Because I've always been a person that I always want to say yes to. Like, if someone's like, oh, can you do this for me? Like, of course, I'll do it, no worries. But then it starts adding up and adding up, and then I get to a point where I'm like, oh, shit, this is, this is way too much. Like, I need to stop. And then that's where I get, like, super low energy. I don't feel like putting effort in anymore. So, yeah, that's, that's my whole thing. <laughs> Right, but I think that's really helpful because you've developed the skills, like whether you've clarified your language around them or not. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain skill. Again, I'm like systematizing. I want to make a list here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you have these skills, just like I have. That like we use X, Y, and Z to uh, fix problems. Whether the problem is my knee hurts when I squat, my back hurts when I deadlift. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to cry when I think about going to work. Like <laughs> these are all signs of something not being ideal. And then it's it's just a matter of 
you know, having the skills to address those things in an effective way. Yeah, definitely. So some of them are best learned from a trainer. Some of them are best learned from a dietitian. Some of them are best learned from a counselor. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so I want to shift gears to like answer hmm. some Facebook questions because I have a thing where when I listen to a podcast and they're like, "Yeah, send in your questions," and your question never gets answered, and I'm like, "Why do I even bother?" So. I have this Let's thing make sure that, we get to them. that like yeah, I have this thing that I have to get every single question down. But um, so we'll start. How many do we have? Just so we know, like time wise. Uh, I didn't count, but it's like I posted in two different Facebook groups and on Instagram. So I'm just gonna like rapid fire. Yeah, honestly. All right, I'm ready. I got my glove on. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the first one's from Kent, and he asks, "What are Georgie's words of advice for modeling good eating habits?" to resistant teenagers, are there any new ingredients or cooking methods that I have that have recently caught her attention and how does one deal with Deadpool in their kitchen? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's very clearly Ken Ertman. <laughs> yeah, there you go, yeah. Um, Way to ask 16 questions I, I know, right? one, Kent. Uh, so modeling healthy behaviors in front of teenagers or children of any age, uh, including adults, uh, is fairly similar. I think the important thing is that we, what we do speaks a lot louder than what we say. So if you tell people that they should do A and then you actively do B, then you're telling them that it's just talk. So I think it's important that if you want your children to eat when they're only hungry and that you want them to eat vegetables, that you try and do the same yourself because that way you're in it together. Um, I also think it's helpful to talk about the reasons why you encourage certain behaviors. Um, I, I think most trainers and coaches have learned this, that if you say you should not do that diet because it's bad, you should do this then the person that you're speaking to, their brain is like, what's bad about it? I thought it looked pretty good on the website. You know, like if you don't give anybody a reason, then it's, it just sounds like a, a baseless rule. So I tend to talk about the options. Like, well, if you do this, here's what you're getting into. Here's what you can expect. This might be good about it. This might be a drawback about it. Um, it's up to you. Then people feel autonomous and free. So even children can be given autonomy to choose their own foods. Now, uh, Ellen Satter best described child feeding as a division of responsibility where the parents are responsible for providing an assortment of nutritious foods and the children are responsible for what and how much they eat of it. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't provide your kids with nothing but ice cream and chocolate cake, but if you put healthy food on the dinner table and let them eat as much as they want of it, um, you're doing your part. If you're modeling healthy behaviors, then you're helping them do it. But at some point, they're going to be old enough to have cars and wallets and access Dunkin' Donuts if they want to go. <laughs> so um, I think raising children that have good values about wanting to be healthy, that see you trying to be healthy and see you enjoying a healthy lifestyle will probably come out all right. Yeah. It'll probably come out all right. Um, at some point, you have to relinquish control over them. So while they're little, take advantage of being able to control what they can access. <laughs> um, and I'm living proof that your teenager can go all wrong and still turn out okay in the end. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but no, that, that makes sense because, like, I, when I have clients and I train them, like, sometimes they have to bring their kids. And I think it's such a good idea for their kids to actually see, like, their mom or dad working out. And to a point where, like, I have this one client in particular that her daughter 
when her mom wakes up to go to the gym in the morning, her daughter always asks, oh, can I come? Can I come? Because oh, she, she had, like, she just saw her mom working out. So yeah. she's probably going to want to do, like, sports and things like that when she gets a little bit older. But I think that's a an awesome way to, like, answer this question is, like, if the parents are doing it, their kids will see it and they'll end up doing it anyway. Yeah. If you, it, Also, there's some evidence that if you talk about or more accurately, if you don't talk about certain topics, mm-hmm. like if you're constantly talking about your own weight and other people's weight, your children pick that up. Yeah. So if you're like, no, I can't, I'm really feeling tubby. <laughs> like your kids are like, what? Yeah. That food's associated with tubbiness? I didn't know that. Yeah. And yeah. that's where they start to get those associations. Um, and if you comment on, on strangers' weight, that's a huge, huge one. Um, yeah. I've, I've witnessed quite a bit in public where uh, parents will comment on, especially women, women, you're the worst for this. <laughs> they'll comment on like, oh, I saw so-and-so, she looked thin. I saw so-and-so, more suddenly yeah. she looked fat. Yeah. Or that woman over there, oh my God, what a whale. You know, if they see somebody that's a larger body size and I don't see any need for those comments. I don't make them personally. Uh, and I really hope they die <laughs> because <laughs> I think they do nobody any good. So. If I had kids, which I'm glad I don't, but that's a whole other story, um, <laughs> I would definitely want to talk about, like, I'm eating this food because this health reason and because it's tasty and because it makes me feel good and because I have good energy afterward and yeah. um, I want to go to the gym because I want to be strong and because I want to be able to carry my grocery bags and because it, it feels really good to sleep well afterward. And we don't need to talk about weight an appearance, you know, it's it's perfectly enriching to talk about health and functionality. Yeah, definitely. And like the, the other interesting thing about that is um, like culturally. So my wife, she's Filipino, and in their culture, when you haven't seen someone in a long time and say they put on some few pounds, they like an uncle, an aunt, a sister, brother, or whatever it is, will come up to you and be like, "Oh, you got fat since I last saw you." Like just like right. straight up. Wow. And like I remember when I would like hear about it for the first time, I'm like, God, that is so messed up. But it's like just a thing. Like if your family in the Philippines, you haven't seen them for a couple of years and you're like, you know, you're about to say hi to them for whatever. And you'll be like, wow, like you've gained a lot of weight. And then you just stand there and you just take it. It's such a weird, weird thing, but it's pretty common in Asian cultures. Please never do that to me. I'll cry. <laughs> <laughs> but can you imagine like growing up as a kid and that's yeah. all you hear and then you become an adult and like everything in your life goes around like how much you weigh, how you look, how you present yourself constantly. I'm like, that is torture. It is. Yeah. It is. Anyway. On to the next question. Um, this one's from Sumi. She asks, when someone comes to you seemingly with all the readiness to make a change, but doesn't do the things to make even the simplest of behavior or habit changes that would lead this person towards that goal, how do you handle this? Okay, well, uh, clearly they're not somebody that was ready to make a change or they would have made it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I would just, that's... I get it. It's like a general circumstance, but I would just keep asking questions. Um, you know, that's a great place to practice forming good rapport, letting somebody know that they can tell you anything and that you're not there to judge. You're you're there to team up with them and find solutions and start trying to figure out what's in the way because clearly somebody has good reasons for staying the same if they've done it for years despite 
wanting a different outcome. So a lot of times people, uh, you know, clients and coaches alike, we get focused on the bad side of overeating behaviors, um, but they're serving a purpose if somebody's continuing to do it. So let's talk about what that purpose is because it's clearly something that you need. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so meeting people's needs in other ways. Um, so yeah, you're, you haven't, that person doesn't have the whole picture or you don't have the whole picture. If you think that everything points toward change and they haven't changed, then you just haven't found it. Yeah, because it's interesting. Is like when you start working with somebody and you know you have this whole master plan for them, you can't wait to like help them achieve their goal, and then you almost hit like a wall, and you can tell like they're not wanting to change almost, and you start peeling back layers of like what's going on in their life, and sometimes you just hit into a wall where if they don't change something major in their life, they might not see the result they want. And I almost like feel that maybe they're just not ready at this point in their life. So do you ever tell people like, hey, maybe right now is not the best time to do this goal? Like, do you kind of like say, hey, maybe we should take a break for a few months? Like, what's your whole protocol on that? I haven't said that. Um, I don't feel like it's my place to decide that because Mm -hmm. it's kind of a values and priorities call. And like, I would hate to tell somebody like, Seriously, your priorities now? Change them. (laughs) Um, So I think I, you know, my coaching style is, again, to present, to flesh out all of the options. And, um, for example, a person might be dealing with changes at work related to a new position, having uh, a child going through some health crises that needs a lot of doctor's appointments. They may be disagreeing with their spouse on how to manage the stress about their child's health problems, you know, lots of stuff going on. And so they're finding it difficult to stop a certain maladaptive behavior, such as eating chocolate in the evenings to pull one out of a hat. So I might talk about the emotional investment and time investment that is required to do all of these different projects and you can decide like do you have the bandwidth to do all of these or is it more practical to work on some of them or do we want to adjust how much time and effort you're putting into all of these different areas because food is never the only thing in somebody else's life yeah you know sometimes people have other health issues that they need to attend to they need to get their blood sugar under control. They need to you know, do something else. Sometimes um, it's an emotional bandwidth. Sometimes it's just a time thing that they, they really don't feel like they have the time to make the changes that they need. So I just like to talk about what all the options are. And I've, I've never told somebody that I don't think this is a good time for you. Um, I think the closest I've come would probably be doing a mental health referral. Of like, I actually think that what is going to be the biggest changer for you right now is getting some professional help um, with your mindset because you seem to be struggling more than you need to. Um, for example, if if I have a client that's breaking out in tears every time they have to figure out what to eat, they might be a bit out of my league. Yeah. In terms of like needing some help that I can't provide that like level of acuity for. Um, Or if somebody just is working with me for six months and they're not getting somewhere, um, I might not be the person for them. So, yeah, yeah, I think usually it's it's a team thing that they'll most often the client will tell me 
that this doesn't seem like the time is is right for them. But I'd say it's pretty rare, believe it or not. I think most people are actually surprised that improving their nutrition and their self-care in small steps is there's never a better time than when you're actually going through a moderate amount of shit in your life. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's uh, something you can control. And it can be a source of positivity, and it can feel really good to have something positive to put some time and effort into every day um, that goes somewhere when yeah. so much of the world seems to be arbitrary and frustrating. Definitely. Um, this next question is kind of like what we're already talking about. So Anders asks, um, how is she managing non-responders or low responders for the first few changes of lean habits? Ah, okay. So Lean Habits, for anyone who's not familiar with it, is my book. The full title is Lean Habits for Lifelong Weight Loss. And so it's essentially one chapter per behavior. And so we ask people to work on each behavior for approximately two weeks or longer if you need it to get good at it. So when people start the first few chapters, they don't immediately lose weight. I make no promise that making the first three changes is going to solve all your weight problems, otherwise the book would be much shorter. (laughs) (laughs) But they are really fundamental and important. So the first chapter is to eat three or four times per day without snacking. So essentially, rather than breaking your calories up into five or six or 18 small meals, eating three or four times, one's not better than the other, um, and so that you're spacing your meals apart a certain degree, you know, there tend to be at least four hours between meals, and that they tend to be at least a certain size. And without getting too detailed into the science, uh, it's in the book if you want to read it, Um, (laughs) shameful plug, (laughs) Uh, that is really the best way to use your inborn calorie control mechanism in your brain and your appetite. So that will help you get the most mileage for your calories in terms of appetite satisfaction. But that's not the whole story to weight loss because once you've done that, there's still other stuff to go. So then the second, you can still overeat in three or four meals a day without snacking. So then the second and third uh, chapters focus on feeling some hunger before each one of those meals. So that tends to be pretty helpful in creating a calorie deficit because if you're most people find they have to reduce meal size somewhere to try and feel that genuine stomach hunger before each meal. And then the third chapter is uh, called Eating Just Enough, and that's basically eating until you're satisfied, not eating diet meals, but not eating past satisfied. So eating enough, but not too much. So once people get through the end of the third chapter, they tend to be starting to make progress. So if somebody's in the first two chapters, I would say hold on until you get 80% or better at the first three and then you should be getting somewhere. I would say 75% of people are. Anybody that's not starting to see a weight change by the end of chapter three, that's why there's 13 more chapters to cover the the things that may be sneaking extra calories into your diet. So um, it's difficult to say what it could be for each person. The most common one would be extra treats. So if people are eating you know, a large amount of fried food, chocolate, alcohol, or other liquid calories, that could be Uh, something that they need to look at. It could be that they're um, not eating a good distribution, or I'll say an effective distribution of protein to carbs to fat. Um, It could be a few things. So that's why there's, there's added chapters for troubleshooting individual things. So my best advice is to hang in there 
and look for positive impacts of these changes on your life even before the scale moves because often there's a lot that you gloss over if you're waiting to feel good until the scale moves yeah like you might be sleeping better you might be proud of yourself you might be controlling your blood sugar better you might be having less heartburn you might be just knowing that it's good for you to eat less tortilla chips like there's (laughs) there can be a lot of things that are that feel really nice about having an appetite and eating satisfying meals instead of little tiny ones or saving six hours a day because you don't need to log everything in an an app or use a calculator yeah yeah definitely try and pay attention to the non-scale rewards yeah well and reach out to a coach if you need help (laughs) make things faster for people do you like generally like getting people to step on the scale to kind of track their progress or hmm do I like having people step yeah. on the scale? I feel pretty neutral about whether people step on the scale or not. I like making people happy. Okay. Fair so enough. when I have somebody that's like, I, like I, what I want to do is I want to find out what they want mm-hmm. and put together a plan of the most efficient steps to get them to that thing that they want. Yeah. So if getting on the scale is part of it, then yeah, I want to get them on the scale. If getting on the scale is detracting from it, then I'm going to tell them to get off the scale. Uh, general speaking, uh, I don't prefer people get on the scale more than once a week. I don't find that that benefits anybody. Um, but some, I mean, like I have one guy who's very data driven. He gets yeah. on the scale every morning. He charts it. He graphs it. He's he's losing weight. He's happy. I'm not gonna waste my breath on it. I got bigger fish to fry. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. For most people, I recommend getting on the scale once a week or less. Um, and. The reason that people tend to want that is because they want to know, how am I doing? I need, I need some feedback. Like, we yes. love feedback. Your feedback comes from the habit chart. Like, the, the chart that you set up that says, like, yes, I did habit one. Mm-hmm. Or, no, I didn't do habit one. But, like, if you're checking it off each day, that's your feedback. If you're checking those boxes, I know that that will lead to weight loss and a healthy body weight. So whether they get on the scale or not, I want to know that they're checking the boxes, doing the behaviors, um, not watching the scoreboard all the time. Nice. Yeah, like I'm like 50-50 on it from my experience. I don't typically like putting people on the scale because I've said this on my show a bunch of times. Like I'm pretty sure no one stepped on the scale in the history of like stepping on scales and looked at the number and they're like, F, yeah, that's awesome. I can't believe I got to that number. But, um, like, you're right, some people just need that. And I used to have a client where he would literally like to step on a scale three times in a day. But he was one of those clients where I would give him a piece of homework and he would just nail it out of the park, no problem. And I think in six months he ended up losing, like, 70 pounds because everything I gave him, he just did it. I'm like, okay, you're the exception to the rule, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tool, right? And yeah. So the the things that we do with it can make it harmful or not. Um, it's... it's There's something else that I use the um, analogy for that's escaping my mind in the moment, but I say it's, it's like a kettlebell. You can use it to get a great workout and improve yourself, or you can just bash yourself in the face with it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so the next questions are kind of like random ones and i'm assuming i'm assuming these are like inside jokes if you know these people okay well Uh, let's try it i have no idea what you're gonna ask me um hang on 
Uh, Emmanuel asks, "What's the, this is the most important question of all time. How much can she bench? That's the first one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, my max bench that I've ever done was 140 pounds at a body nice. weight of 135. So I was just happy I beat my body weight. That's solid. Uh, recently, I'm not bench pressing very much due to my joint and health issues. So yeah. I'm going to have to brag about my lifetime best. Right uh, <laughs> Right now, it's, it's like single digits. Nice. <laughs> Um, the next one is from Bass Van Denberg. Uh, if you could reincarnate as ice cream, what flavor would you be? <laughs> oh, man. Well, chocolate peanut butter is my husband's favorite. So there's something kind of romantic about that. <laughs> um, I do think chocolate peanut butter haagen is really, really freaking good. I, nice. I think I'd have to go with chocolate peanut butter haagen Nice. Um, the next one's from Dan. He says, how's life with a French bulldog? <laughs> Life with a French Bulldog is wonderful. I have yeah. my little dog, Lucy. Um, I closed the door so she wouldn't come in the bedroom because I've recorded several podcasts yeah. where she is snoring loudly in the background and readers comment on it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> She's awesome. She's my best buddy. When I have a, a difficult day and I feel hopeless and useless and like everything's terrible, I just lay in bed and she just she comes up and she puts her head on my belly and just looks at you with those eyes and it's like, you're the world to me. And you're like, oh, oh, life's not so bad. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Love that dog. Uh, the next one is from Mark Young. <laughs> he okay. uh, he says, ask her if Roland even lifts. And then P.S. Tell him I said hi. <laughs> I will. I will pass it on. And yeah, Roland. I got, Roland is so consistent. I'm like a mixture of admiration and jealousy. Because uh, I have a hard time. I think like because he's... One thing, he recognizes what helps him be consistent. So, like, when we were moving, one of the many times that we've moved, yeah. he's talked about how having a gym that he really likes to go to is a high value for him if he's got to go outside the house. And even better, if he can have a gym in the house, mm-hmm. then that's best. So I was like, you know, do I want to get an extra bedroom on the condo just to house exercise equipment? Not particularly, but, you know, I kind of like the guy. I kind of want to make him happy. Yeah, so. yeah. We have a, a gym that would make people drool, uh, and he uses it all the time. He's awesome. in there. Like, he makes time for it on days when he feels good, on days when he feels bad. He he will make use of it <laughs> interspersed with work, so he'll be, like, updating the website and go do a set of squats. Nice. And then deal with something else for one by one, and then go do another set of squats. <laughs> and then, like, come eat lunch, and then go do deadlifts. Like, he, awesome. he just works it into his day, and he gets so much done. So, yeah, he's he's A-plus with lifting. I, I aspire to be as regular at exercise as he is. <laughs> Um, and then the last random one is from Josh. What products does she use in her hair? <laughs> Josh Hillis? No, Josh Hunter. Oh. Yeah. Hello, Josh. What products do I use in my hair? I'm uh, very low maintenance when it comes to beauty products. Um, I think I'm like a, I think I have Pantene shampoo and conditioner. Nice. And that's it. I think we got that question because I used that photo of you where you're, like, sitting outside and you have, like, the sun hitting your hair, so it almost looks oh. golden luscious, right? So Right, which is totally <laughs> never how you'll see me in real life because my hair is never down. My yeah. hair is always in a ponytail or braid and has been every day of my life and will be until I die. <laughs> so if my hair is out... I'm either, like, really trying to impress somebody, yeah, somebody's yeah. taking my photo, uh, <laughs> or my hairband just broke. <laughs> nice, nice. But that's super nice. Um, yeah. 
Oh. Yeah, no, I'm just a shampoo and conditioner kind of gal. Bam. Okay, so very last question. This is a question I've been starting to ask every um, guest is, cool. what, what is your spirit animal and why? Oh, well, that's a great question. My spirit animal is an elephant. Oh, nice. My spirit animal is an elephant because my strength is in gentleness. I'm gotcha. not an aggressive person. I'm not uh, cool or fast or strong, especially physically anymore. Mm-hmm. I have found like when I am dealing with difficult things, whether it's my clients' problems, my problems, world problems, that I am most effective when I approach it from uh, a gentleness and a loving perspective. And uh, I really embraced the elephant quite a lot as my physical condition has gone downhill. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm dealing with a lot of chronic issues and I, I'm likely to be dealing with disability for the rest of my life oh, thanks wow. to a genetic condition. So for me, it's been like I went from being quite an athlete and a marathon runner and a triathlete to somebody that occasionally needs help to open a door. Yeah. And for me, that has... It's not easy. It's still not easy. I don't know if it will ever get easy, but it's it's been like you can be okay being a slow-moving, gentle person. <laughs> um, in fact, that is why I have my elephant tattoo for anyone who's not. Oh, yeah, yeah. I so remember sure. when he posted about that. I totally forgot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So that's, that is my animal that I feel very connected to, and anybody that's ever interacted with me in a coaching um, encounter, I hope, has gotten that impression that I'm like the least intense, badass drill sergeant Jillian Michaels person ever. Nice. I'm a total softy who just wants to like be there for people. And I have, I always say that like the great big ears are because I'm a good listener and I just like to listen to people talk. Nice, that was a really good answer. Awesome. Um, so th- I'm glad I had something because every <laughs> once in a while I'm on a podcast and they'll ask me something and I've got nothing and I'm like, Durr. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, like people get thrown off by it sometimes. They're just like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, I don't know. Like, what animal would you want to be? But no, that was, that was probably one of the best answers I got from somebody. So thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Uh, anybody else that has questions, feel free to drop a line. Um, uh, don't be a stranger. I love chatting with people, even if we've never met. I'd love to chat with you. Okay, so that's going to wrap up episode 128 with the amazing Georgie Fear. Hopefully you enjoyed that one as much as I did. And again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to either Georgie or myself. If you have suggestions or requests for certain guests, let me know and I'll track them down and get them on my show. And once again, I'm going to ask each and every one of you, please, 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 please share this podcast with your friends and family and everybody on every social media platform you're on to grow this podcast. And I will be forever, forever grateful to each and one of you. Until next week, you guys.